0: Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show.
1: Moving iron in the 21st century. Oh. You'll find us here, moving
0: iron. Good morning and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Market Rundown with Sean Hackett. Sean, how you doing today, bud?
1: Pretty good, Mr. Casey. Pretty good.
0: Good deal, man. Well, there's a uh, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. We got a lot of folks talking about a lot of different stuff. Um, you know one thing we don't talk about enough on here and and shame me for not doing it is cotton and and cotton is one of those you know very large cash crops in the united states um it's definitely one of those um one of those crops that that actually define uh, an entire area or entire region of our of the united states and as as time goes on here because of of various uh, functions that we see happening in in the commodity market cotton has gotten actually a bigger foothold and bigger footprint uh, Especially in stripper cotton area uh, In in the way it's good there. So talk about the cotton market a little bit and what you see happening there
1: Well, I think we have to kind of remember is is we had some really really rough weather last year late in the season in India in the US even in China and so Supplies came way down, but then we got caught in the trade war and, and it kind of got put to the back burner. And then we got these um, planting intentions report, uh, and everyone was expecting that we were going to plant more cotton acres because it'd been a pretty profitable crop, and, uh, uh, and and yet the USDA said that the farmers were planting or expecting to plant less. And so this shot the cotton market up from the low 70s into the upper 70s, where we've been ever since, trying to convince farmers to go, you know, plant cotton acres. The problem is, unfortunately, uh, the rainfall in Texas and the deep south where all the cotton is primarily uh, planted has is, is, is been very problematic. And so the market is now wondering, even with this jackup in price relative to competing crops, you know, what is it going to look like? How much of these acres can actually get in the ground? How much um, uh, won't get in the ground? And so, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at the two-week forecast here for... Texas and for the deep south and it's just um, it's a lot of rainfall coming in, and it just does not look like it's going to be business as usual for getting uh, the cotton planters out and getting the crop in the ground so we still think this market's going to be well bid at least into May until the market can figure out how many acres and what condition those acres might be in. So so the short term is probably pretty positive I think. Uh, the problem we have longer term is this. Cotton is a uh, very economically sensitive ag market, one of the few that are really, really an in industrial ag market. And we see a lot of problems with the global economy. We see a lot of um, weakness going on in Europe and in, in Asia. The African swine fever, you know, is, is not good for the economy of China as, as, as prices take off there. And So everything we see says, you know, that economic activity is going to continue to be under pressure and that should keep demand, user demand for cotton um, under some pressure. The only other thing that we're looking at is this as crude oils we're actually higher, all this Middle East stuff, Iran sanctions and um, you know production for Venezuela well being down. But we know that cotton, on top of being an economically sensitive market, it's also competes with synthetic fiber like polyester for um, for use in clothing. And so as ra- as as oil prices go up, it ratchets up the price of polyester um, and other synthetic fibers, and so that makes cotton more competitive. So it's a very complicated story right now, but I would say in, in aggregate we think that the near-term planting situation is bullish for cotton prices. We think once we get over that, the net result is that cotton demand is going to be weaker uh, later in the year. We think that's going to be the, the overriding theme unless we get some serious growing condition problems this uh, you know this summer. So, so right now I would say we're short-term friendly, but we're looking for a selling opportunity.
0: Okay. So it seems to me when I the, the folks I talk with and who and, and the guys that I know down in this deep south it is it's more wet down there than it is anywhere else, especially take yeah. a look at like Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, all across there, you know it, Louisiana, all those stuff all the way across there. So that's got to have an also a huge effect like we've talked about in the past, that the the rice situation has got to be starting to get a little bit critical when you start looking at the planting situation that's going on there.
1: Well, if we look at uh, the rice planting intentions, we are way behind. Uh, but it's kind of one of these things—we're way behind, but we can catch up. Right. Exactly. We break, right. Exactly. Those cities, like, yep. we, we, we haven't quite crossed the Rubicon yet, but mm-hmm. we can't still make it up. Right. But if we go two more weeks, we can't make it up. I mean, that we're at that moment, like you just said, where right. either it is or it isn't, and it looks like to us, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, the the, the rainfall uh, is just blowing up down there and, and so we think we're going to get some serious problems for for cotton rice planting where we're not going to be able to recover even if it dries out later in may you right know?
0: On. Yep, because that's that's the uh I and mean, that's a prediction too and you're you you follow the weather and you're you're pretty in depth into into weather and those kind of things and and with this being in a more of a, a mild el nino effect we're looking at a at a very i don't say very but a cooler wetter summer than what we've seen in the past um which even even that's going to have an effect on the growing season because you need heat units and all that kind of stuff to really, really get that stuff going and and really get the bushels out of it. So, like you said, even if even if in a couple of weeks, um, you know, we can't get things going and things aren't right where they need to be yet, um, what effect in the market will rice have if it becomes that that kind of uh, you know you know the the uh, the commodity that didn't make its way to the field what what happens to the how is that going to affect the overall commodity markets
1: well i mean we know speculators um are herd. you know they run in herds they mm. run short they run long but they kind of run together um and right now they're all happy you know they're short uh, they're bearish uh, rain makes rain i hear this every single day uh, and, and i yep. get it yep. I, I get it but, yep. but but, but if the rice market and let's say the cotton market were to get into trouble and cause some significant spike trades higher, blow some of these shorts out and make them lose a lot of money, it's very likely that some of these excessive short positions in corn and soybeans and wheat, they, they would get they would follow follow some of the buying and start covering some of their short positions. Because they might say, wait a minute, you know, maybe this is a year where rain doesn't make rain, or maybe this is so excessive. That maybe we overplayed the short position here, so so we feel that it would be a contagion effect where rice and cotton could could convince some of these speculators to start buying, and once they start buying, it makes other shorts start buying, and all of a sudden you have a huge short covering rally. And given how large they are, you know, the rally could be quite substantial without really any change in the fundamentals that we that we already know. It just it would just be the, the the match, you know, the trigger that would set the thing off. So we think that would be something to get them off this bearish
0: match, but they've been on here for, for you know quite a long time yeah yeah there's a lot of, it's just it's just a crazy market right now there's there's a lot of different stuff going on that that uh when it comes to the weather where where it comes to you know field conditions when it comes to all these different things there's so much stuff that is playing into it so it's it's a it's a bigger deal than what i think uh uh you know like i said planter technology right now you can put a lot of equipment out there right now and you can do a lot of amazing things you know we've got planters out there running right now that can do 100 to 120 acres an hour you know what i mean so that's out here in our neck of the woods that's that's one circle you know 120 acres so that's one circle an hour If a guy's got 40 or 50 circles it takes him a week you know to go out and plant that stuff and if he's running 24 yep. 7 quite frankly he's done it in two days you know what i mean so it's it's uh it's amazing what they can get done but the weather has to cooperate and where i'm at right now the weather is cooperating you know any even if it even if it does rain out here just because soil conditions and the way they are it's real sandy it doesn't last you know you can get back in the field in a in day you know it's not a big deal so but flip that over to like kansas or missouri or uh Eastern Nebraska and Iowa, and where there's more, where it's the clay and stuff that starts playing into that and and thicker soils and those kind of things, it takes longer to dry out. And and that's what we're seeing happen right now.
1: I also think that we have have this unprecedented weather situation. I mean, unprecedented moisture, unprecedented, I mean, just we have never really seen anything like it. And then we have this um, unprecedented African swine fever that everyone is trying to get their hands around. Because it's so enormous. And I think you have these two massive fundamental factors that I almost think people don't know what to do about these two things. Like they're so unusual, they're so large, mm-hmm. that it's hard for the mind to, to actually grasp what they mean. And so because of that, they basically just uh, disregard it as being nothing because they really can't accept what it, how, how how significant they may be until it hits them cr- straight across the face with a two-eye four, then they'll wake up to it. I always mm. feel like that's what the markets are at. They're almost like they just can't process what's going on right now. Yeah.
0: You know? There's a lot of stuff happening, man. I mean, whether it's trade or weather or you know disease or whatever, it is, there's a ton of stuff going on in the market right now, a lot more stuff that's been going on here in the last 18 months than there has been in the last 36 months when you start looking at and I mean Absolutely. at least to this point you could you could track back to why commodity prices are doing what they're doing it's just a supply and demand issue now it's a supply and demand issue with a possibility of weather issue with a possibility of how you know swine fever is going to affect the marketplace how you know all these different things are just trading I mean just so many things just coming at it a million times it's just and it's it's not any one of them are any more important than the other one they're all important and that's that's the that's the kind of the overarching theme here that you can't take one away because you're still going to have a big effect even if you took just one away.
1: Exactly. And, you know, <clears> I, think, <throat> I think you know the market is just kind of paralyzed at the moment because it, it it's just not sure how to process all of this. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, through time, we'll get clarity on it. But right now, it's, it's just going, you know what? I don't know what to do. And when I don't know what to do, I sell. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know what to do. I'm going to sell. Right. And so that's the idea that i selling because I don't know what to do. But that actually, maybe the fuel... Uh, if they've gotten that wrong and we think they've, they've overplayed that and if they have you know then there's some optimism to come as depressed
0: as his current state of affairs happens to be at the moment you know yep all right so let's jump over to another to another hot topic out there i think that are that, that we have a lot of uh a lot of traction on and a lot of a lot of people are really starting to pay attention to price of oil price oil is going up we're starting to see it. it gets the price of the pumps getting higher every day i think i'm out here we're we're, we're close to that that to, i think it was 290 the other day when i got some got gas the other day so um now the, the the flip side of that is what is how the ethanol is affecting that i think ethanol right now is about a dollar 80 something dollar 83 or something like that i think last time i looked so when you compare the two things you got you got about a dollar difference between uh you know gasoline and, and ethanol um but RENs are starting to play a, a big part into that, and, and there's getting the EPA and how they've reallotted those out, um, really have some people fired up about what's going on. So talk about that marketplace and the dynamics you see between, between those two uh, two commodities.
1: I mean, look, government's always involved with these kind of things, but at the end of the day, it still comes down to uh, dollars and what makes business sense. Um, you know, when oil prices are too low... Um, it doesn't make business sense to use any more ethanol than you absolutely positively have to. Mm-hmm. Um, when crude cur- cur- oil prices and especially right now gasoline prices have really been taken off ahead of the summer driving season and you get this wide spread, it starts to make more sense to use more ethanol uh, given the current cheap price um, than not. And so these spreads can, can they don't have to immediately kick in but they always do kick in and we don't think that spread can get any wider Without having either crude oil come back down, which we don't see happening right now, right. or the ethanol price starting to move higher, and with the current corn price being as low as it is on a cash price basis, you get you know a 10% move up in in ethanol prices, which really wouldn't be a stretch. You know, all of a sudden the margins are there, and and, and, and you start firing up those uh, those plants that have been uh, idle here for a little while. So it is a positive thing. Um, and, and we do think it's, it's it's probably we've seen the worst of the of the ethanol demand destruction phase that the markets were worried about. We're probably moving into a friendlier phase as we move forward. Because, like I said, we really don't see that spread getting any wider without uh, something beginning to uh, to improve for the ethanol producer. So,
0: yeah, there. Do you feel like that's the biggest the ethanol market right now? Is is if because of the way the price of oil is. Does the ethanol market have the biggest effect on on the corn market? I mean, is that where the biggest upside in corn is going? To, immediate upside in corn is going to come from.
1: I think that it probably is, and the reason I say that is because it's it's immediate local demand. Right. I mean. You've got an ethanol plant on the road and he needs a bunch of corn, he bids up, he narrows the basis, he wants it yesterday, deliver it, I mean, it's, it's an immediate demand source, local, ship it, you know, it it, it has the most immediate impact especially with the basis, the, the cash basis levels that we might see. You could see the futures market maybe stay flat but they goose up a local cash basis and the farmers wow, I'm, I'm, t- I'm 10, 20 cents higher than I was two weeks ago because we're bidding up corn because the ethanol plant's operating again. So mm-hmm. That would really, really, really help the cash market in corn immediately um, if we could get that demand fired up. Um, and, and they've tended to be aggressive buyers in the past when they really wanted to buy corn. It's, you know, a, a livestock producer, he usually is on an on overall plan. He buys over time. You know, he has a he has a, a long-term accumulation program. They rarely come in and swoosh and buy him aggressively like ethanol producers have typically done in the past. So yeah, if we could really get that fired up again. That that would be a really improved and, and uh, immediate uh, help to the cash market and to the farmer, um, you know, whether or not withstanding. But I mean, I think that would really be a shot in the arm. That would be very easy for the market to do, and, and it would override some of these other factors. I mean, it wouldn't matter what's going on with African swine fever. It wouldn't matter what's going on with the U.S. dollar because it's local demand for local product.
0: Right. You know? Yep. So that would be be <clears throat> the, the local the, the local. Demand would be driving the, the immediate person. So if you were in an area where there's an ethanol plant, you're going to see that more over than a guy that's, that doesn't have the ethanol plant net down from how yes. Is that kind of what you're saying? If that,
1: it'll definitely be a have and have not sort of okay. situation. Correct. If you're in a, a very. Um uh, ethanol centric area, you know, you're going to see some very exciting cash bids. If you're not, you know, you'll certainly be left behind a little bit. Not that it would, you know, you, you wouldn't get some in- increase in the futures market on improved demand for overall, and maybe bringing those ending stocks down. But you wouldn't have the most immediate impact to your cash price, like the guy that's in a in an ethanol centric area, without a doubt. I mean, it would, it would there'd be areas that would really benefit, other areas not as much.
0: Gotcha. Sure. Gotcha. Okay. All right, Sean. Well, plenty of stuff going on. Plenty of reason to have someone reach out to you and ask you some questions or maybe point them in the right direction. So if they wanted to do that, how would they do it, Sean?
1: Uh, Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We have all kinds of interviews we've done on African swine fever, on grand solar cycle, on sample reports that they can look at and see if some of the things that we do and some of the work that we come up with might help them um with what they do in their business so that's a great place to start to see if what,
0: they, what we do makes sense to them right on all right sean well thanks for being on the podcast and make sure you guys check out globalagnetwork.com where you can go and take up um, all the different shows you have you can log in set up an account and you can pick the content you want to have sent directly to your inbox so check that out whenever you got a minute i'm casey seaman with moving iron podcast sean thanks for being on we'll talk to you next week
1: Sounds good, Mr. Casey. Have a
0: great day. You too. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Millinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit MovingIronLLC.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit. Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and GlobalAgNetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out.